Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cutrera Show for Monday, January 18th. I want to focus on a couple of tech stories that caught my eye over the weekend with our tech expert, Adam Oldfield. He'll be joining us to talk about the Signal app going down over the weekend to also uh, make us aware of this nasty Windows 10 bug that could corrupt your hard drive. And the Apple Watch apparently can spot COVID-19 symptoms a week before you spot them yourself. So we'll get to that. But let's start off the podcast talking about something that experts are warning about. It's quarantine myopia. Could have serious effects on young people's eyesight. Here to talk about it, ophthalmologist, professor at the University of Toronto, and immediate past president of the Canadian Ophthalmological Society, Dr. Yvonne Buys. Thanks for having me. So what exactly is quarantine myopia? So first of all, myopia is nearsightedness. And many people think, um, oh, that's easily corrected with glasses or contact lenses, which is true in most cases, though sometimes you can have pathologic levels of myopia. Quarantine myopia is what is being described as an increased prevalence in myopia that's being discovered because of the lockdown measures, specifically affecting young children ages 6 to 8. Okay, and what is the uh, risk of this? Is it not reversible? Yeah, so first of all, the risk, it's very high. They found in the six-year-olds a 400% increase in the prevalence of myopia. So this was a study done in 10 elementary schools in Fei-Ching, China, um, over 120,000 participants, so a very robust study. And they found from the years 2015 to 19, and then comparing to 2020, after these children had been in strict lockdowns in China, so no outdoor activity, that the proportion of children that had myopia had increased by 400%. Okay, so um, can you reverse this with glasses, contact lenses that are, you know, maybe worn for a, a specific amount of time, like not permanently, or is the damage done? Yeah, so you can control the effects of myopia, yes, by wearing contact lenses or glasses and sometimes with refractive procedures as well. But no, you cannot reverse it. And the other issue is that if you're younger developing myopia, the degree of myopia increases over time. So the concern is that we may be seeing a big epidemic of pathological myopia, which can have other things other than just being fixed with glasses. You can suffer permanent vision loss from things like retinal myopic degeneration, glaucoma or retinal detachments. And this severe vision loss mostly will happen in working age people. So Mm. this is a real important concern. So how do you prevent it? Well, the study, what they looked at, there were two things that they thought were contributing to it. Um, I think most of us look at the lockdown that we're spending a lot of time in front of screens, so a lot of near work, which means not just a computer, but reading and on your cell phone. So that might be a contributing factor. But they think the bigger contributing factor is the lack of outdoor activity. So they think that um, exposure to sun can have effects in the eye that can control the growth of the eye, which is associated with myopia. And I think during lockdown, specifically in countries like China, where they were very strict with the lockdown, perhaps no outdoor activity, that you might see the effects more. 
So I mm-hmm. think we need to recognize that this is an issue and encourage everybody, and especially children's ages six to eight, that the parents make sure they're getting at least two hours of outdoor activity every day so that they're getting both sun exposure and a chance to relax the muscles in the eye, the focusing muscles of the eye, which may help to slow down the progression of myopia. Well, that really doesn't jive with what's going on in uh, with our lockdown rules and our stay-at-home order, does it? Well, you know what? The quarantine measures, they're important, and it's our best chance of reducing the spread of the virus. But we need an intelligent lockdown, and we need to control children's screen time and out- increase their outdoor activity while maintaining safe social distancing to help control a wave of quarantine myopia. So I think there are things we can adjust in our lifestyle to try to limit the negative effects. You mentioned that sunshine is uh, good for eye development or or in this study in particular when it comes to quarantine myopia. What about vitamin D, the sunshine vitamin? Would that help? Should we uh, have our kids taking vitamin D? No, I don't think that there's any association for that with quarantine myopia. It's felt that uh, in the myopia development, exposure to the sun on the retina increases um, production of something called dopamine, which affects the growth of the eye. It helps to limit the growth of the eye. And most of this myopia is due to a, a longer length of the eye, the forward to the back length. Isn't dopamine also the happy chemical? Sometimes, yes. Okay. Good to know. Um, is it harmful to be wearing an outdated prescription? I've thought about this a lot. A lot of us can't go or are not willing to go to the optometrist during the uh, stay-at-home order and, and during just the pandemic in general. So many of us can be wearing outdated prescriptions. Is there any harm with uh, wearing an outdated prescription for an elongated a period of time. Yeah, there's absolutely no harm on your eyes to be not wearing the proper prescription. The only negative effect is in the, your quality of life, correct? You won't maybe not be seeing everything as clearly. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you're having problems seeing and you're not feeling comfortable to go in for an assessment because ophthalmology is really limited to do virtual examinations. It really needs to be in person. You can do things like if you're on a screen, increase the size of the font, have it come close to that will help to magnify it as well if you're having problems with the near vision. I I guess uh, one good thing uh, that could come out of wearing the outdated prescription is that uh, flow of uh, dopamine, the happiness chemical, because I don't know about you, but I look in the mirror and think, wow, this pandemic's looking good on me. I'm aging backwards. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I would uh, rely on that, but it's a good idea. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time, doctor. Have a great day. Okay, you too. Bye. Cheers. I would like to welcome to the program one of my favorite guests, Adam Oldfield, our 640 Toronto tech expert. Adam, we have a load of things to get through that I caught my attention over the weekend that I want to make sure that people are aware of and that you uh, give us the lowdown on. So let's start out. With this nasty Windows 10 bug, apparently can corrupt your hard drive, and it's super easy to trigger. What do you know about this for our Windows users? Well, first of all, anybody using Windows knows that, it, well, maybe not, but it, it's a typical old virus from like the 90s, which would turn your hard drive into a brick. So, I mean, there was once a, a virus back in the uh, late 90s called the I love you virus. Almost reminds me a bit of that. So it's so easy. And what it does is it, it's an algorithm that more or less turns all your executable files into non-executable. 
example. Uh, it does trigger Windows to say you need to restart, do a security check, and more or less at that time when it does that, it takes all your files and locks them into a non-executable format. Therefore, your computer just sits there and spins and you get that little window wheel or it may not even turn on at all. So um, it's evident that obviously Microsoft has made a statement that they're going to be coming out with a security update. Uh, and of course, it's so easy because the minute you click it, it triggers it. Uh, it's it's such a simple uh, mistake. And, you know, be careful when you're downloading these. Again, just as a reminder, if you're getting something from someone you don't know or something looks a little off from the person you're getting an email from, uh, that's probably going to be where it's going to be hidden. Or, uh, and I say this uh, openly, don't download from somewhere that you don't know. So if it has a bit of a suspicious look on it, meaning there's all sorts of banners of things of which are not uh, very uh, acceptable, you probably don't want to open any files from there. So it's a pretty serious malware bellower. When you say not so acceptable, you mean those pop-ups? Uh, I'm talking, yeah, I'm talking about pop-ups. Okay. I'm talking about, uh, you know, music downloads. Someone says here, download the latest game. Here's a, right. here's the, the latest hack of uh, Wonder Woman, whatever, any of those. No. So specifically what we're looking for is a pop-up that, that comes on your screen when you're, you know, doing whatever on your Windows 10 machine and you see uh, it say restart your computer. That's a, uh, what it does is go yeah, off there. It could be that, or it could be as simple as the minute you even click it, this one's actually very, very uh, simple. Most of them have permissions or require windows to give you access to certain files. This one act will, will trigger just by clicking it twice. Uh, it could be in a zip file. It could be in a uh, word document. Um, and most of those get caught by Microsoft. Usually uh, their security features are able to catch it. And what it does is it will notice that there is a, uh, an issue in this case with Windows, but when it goes to restart, it actually makes the algorithm kick in and turn your actual file into a brick. All right, I just wanted to make everybody aware of that that uses uh, that use Windows 10 listening to the show because I think it's important. Uh, the Signal app went down on Saturday. Is this the sign of an app that has uh, found success? Yes, it is. And I also want to call, I've had a lot of people and I think even you and I spoke about this in the past on the show and I was encouraging people to use Signal. And and I, I want to say that 40 million listeners of AM640 were very keen to take action. Uh, and, you know, yep, and a that's lot my of, audience. All right. They were, they were right on it because literally we said it, Kelly, and boom, they were downloading it. So I like to put the analogy of, you know, when many people are like, well, maybe it's not ready. Uh, it's not capable of keeping up with, uh, with what uh, is required. I want to be clear. This is a 40 million exodus from WhatsApp into the Signal platform. That's like trying to suck a bowling ball through a straw. I mean, yeah. there's a lot. It's a lot to try and get. So 40 million people were trying to jump on. Anyway, it was down for about 24 hours. They got their servers up and running and they do have it active now. So anyone who was trying to sign up or were having issues, you shouldn't have any problems any longer. All right. Let's uh, talk about something that I, I'm sure was introduced at the um, Consumer Electronics Show last week, the first uh, virtual electronics show. We started off last week talking about those Lenovo glasses, but the Apple Watch saying now could spot COVID-19 symptoms a week before they strike. Can you tell us a little bit about what you know? 
Well, yeah. I mean, right now I know that the Apple Watch is probably one of the leading when it comes to wearable technologies from uh, capabilities of what it's what it's uh, enabled to do. So it monitors your heart rate. It monitors your oxygen levels. Now, uh, I'm a Samsung guy. I have a Samsung watch, a uh, smartwatch, and, uh, and it does the same heartbeat monitoring. Doesn't do the oxygen levels yet, and, and the new model will be coming out. But in this case, what's happened is the algorithm within Apple's uh, Apple Watch has that little mechanism that allows it to monitor your heart rate. And it can actually see those little triggers. I'm no tech when it comes to health, but from what I understand, the watch will monitor your heart rate beat. So when it's going through the beat rate, uh, your heartbeat rate, it will it will see those little uh, inuacracies that are not necessarily uh, conducive to normal. And so what it's done is with the artificial intelligence, uh, kudos to Apple as they are a leader when it comes to the medical field, uh, they've got the algorithm set up in a way that they can monitor specifically that the uh, uh, it's off. And that offness is synonymous with those that have COVID prior to those symptoms coming out. So that is, uh, I mean, Apple has always been able to be a little bit of a leader in that. And obviously with the millions of research that's going out now when it comes to COVID, they're able to take that data, compile it into a system that oxygen levels, heartbeat monitoring, all of it is giving a little bit of a signal that, uh, again, to be clear, it's not uh, for sure uh, creating a medical a di uh, diagnosis of the uh, of the situation, but it is going to be giving a bit of a summary that you could be in a position that you have COVID. So, uh, you know, Apple has definitely been a leader, and we see that even more with the new products that are going to be coming out, particularly an ECG in the new Apple Watch, which that means is that if you're having a heart attack, they're claiming that Apple products products will be able to determine you're going to have a heart attack before you even know you're having uh, wow. a heart attack. So it's one step, one step further that where Apple's a real leader when it comes to, uh, to smart wearable devices. That could be a game changer because then you get to, what is it? You're supposed to chew on an aspirin or something like that while you're having a heart attack to save yourself, uh, again, the, in the midst of it to give yourself some extra time. Uh, I, I haven't had a heart attack, but yeah, I heard that. And uh, I'm, I'm an Advil kind of guy, but uh, <laughs> again, I hate getting hey, medical I'm advice. I'm the worst medical guy. At the moment kind of gal. <laughs> yeah. I'm more of the tech kind of guy. I'd be like, wow, oh. oh, that's really cool. It prevents heart attacks. Okay. Right. I'm over at that moment. It's reading data after that. Let's talk about some of the country's biggest tech firms. Uh, we we know that they are capable of doing so much, especially when they band together. Look at the COVID app. I know there's some criticism of the COVID app and uh, people getting on board, not you know, not possibly using it uh, correctly. Um, but uh, I understand that uh, some big tech companies like Microsoft have got together with Oracle and uh, Cigna and the folks from the Mayo Clinic. And they are creating uh, a group called the Vaccine Credential Initiative. They want to ensure that everyone has access to a secure digital record of their COVID-19 vaccinations. Basically, they're making a digital vaccine passport. And I know that our government, the Fed, said that they, they're not going to force people to get a you know vaccine passport uh, because of you know inequity and uh, other reasons. But this is something that can be stored in people's smartphones. And I was talking to an expert who felt we're going to need vaccine passports. So independent groups are going to probably take the responsibility on. Do you feel good that this is a uh, uh, basically an initiative initiative set up by all of these tech giants? 
Yeah, I like the direction it's leading. And I think it will be a little more interesting after uh, they all collaborate a little better in regards to how it works. So I think the digital, uh, I think we're calling a medical passport is what I Mm -hmm. refer or saw that that's been in talks for a while. And uh, part of it was sort of a instead of your health card where you would show it only at a doctor's office, the idea would be that your medical passport would be a digital file. Obviously, that brings a lot of concerns uh, with that. So in the case of what happens if you don't have a digital device. I mean, you know, do you use an old uh, cell phone, Android phone and so forth? Where is the information being stored? Is it on the smartphone? Is it in the cloud? Uh, I think, you know, there's a, a hack uh, a week right now when it comes to data privacy and, and server uh, uh, capabilities of being protected. So uh, I foresee this as a step towards where, like many things with COVID, a lot of innovative technology has come out of this. Um, a lot of research, new direction, new ways to think, you know, uh, and this is one step of them. So it's is it something I can foresee that it's, it's necessary? Yes. I think the, again, I'm not the one setting the policies, but I can only imagine that the next time we want to travel out of country, we're going to need a digital passport that will be internationally accepted in every uh, country um, pertaining to have you been vaccinated? When were you vaccinated? uh, You know, have you ever had signs of COVID in the past? Uh, And specifically, this might be isolated to COVID, but it could relate to other uh, ailments. So pretty soon, like maybe uh, when you're asked, are you medically capable of traveling uh, or do you have a past history of, uh, as we just discussed, maybe uh, uh, heart heart issues, it could take that next level of when we travel to be able to diagnose or know when someone's in a country that needs medical support or do they have the proper insurance to allow them to return in the case of a problem. I I can hear alarm bells uh, going off in a lot of people's heads right now. I just imagine hearing that. But um, back to this, just the the COVID-19 vaccination component of this. Uh, Ultimately, they say patients will receive an encrypted digital copy of a vaccination record, which you can keep on your smartphone. It's similar to a QR code. So it can be kept in a digital wallet. And if you're at the airport gate, the agent can ask for it, but they can't read anything else, which I think is good. Well, it is good. Uh, and again, as far as, you know, I like to refer to as encrypted is, is and, and as a tech guy, and I know in the IT world, encryption is gold, but encryption is only as good as when the information truly can't be seen. And okay. what that means is that if there's a copy on a server and there's a copy on a phone, it means somewhere it's decrypted. So you may have a copy of that record. And I think, yes, being able to go in, I mean, a QR code is a quick read code. It, takes you to a website. If anyone was to scan that code in any way or capacity, it's taking you to an environment of which it's accessible. So it does open up a bit of a, I I mean, honestly, I could be missing something, Kelly. I mean, I like to think I'm a tech expert, but there's a lot of things that I'm still maybe not aware of when it comes to that. In my opinion, the uh, phone being encrypted or biometrically capable of opening, uh, meaning that you have to use your fingerprint, your, your, you know, your retinal scan, your facial scan, depending on the, on the hardware you use, um, plays a big role in regards to how it can be encrypted and safely accessible. So, uh, but again, that opens up all new questions. That's only if you're going to be traveling. What if somebody, and you're having a medical concern and you know, you're not able to pull out and biometrically access your phone and someone wants to know, are you, have you been vaccinated? Um, that would be impossible. So, um, you know, anyway, there's a lot of questions in a lot of areas that still need to be uh, researched and provided, but it's good to see that the big companies are collaborating to try and find that solution. I appreciate your time as always, Adam. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Kelly. Have a great day. 
And that's it. It's done. It's over. Until tomorrow, have a great day.